Checkity check, one, two, one, two, 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 checkity check, 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 Today on the Multiply Podcast, David and I discuss a self-aware leader. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome back or welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. So glad you guys are with us. Dave, what's going on? We're loving life right now. We are... uh, it's a good time to be in Syracuse. Uh, our I don't football know about team, that. Well, the weather's terrible. It's been raining nonstop for like a month. Syracuse football team is number 13 in the nation, and it's been, I think, eight to ten years since they were ranked. So you went and saw them have earlier even, this year, didn't you? Yeah, I have, and uh, they looked really good, and they dominated. Oh, yeah. I don't remember who they played. but I'm going this weekend to watch them play, and uh, they got a big one coming up against Notre Dame. So, And Syracuse basketball is ranked. They're number 16. And they're normally ranked, so but it's very weird to see the football team ranked above the basketball team. But, man, when those teams are doing well, Syracuse is a very different place to live. People get so excited. Although I feel like with Alabama this year, it doesn't really matter, right? It doesn't really well, matter. Yeah. What... You're talking about football again, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's Alabama and everybody else. Exactly. But it is a, it is a fun time of year. Yeah. My Patriots are doing <sighs> amazing, as <sighs> usual, which is exciting for me. You know, that so noise was me throwing up in my mouth. If you're out there and you're uh, not an NFL fan or looking for a team, welcome aboard. New England Patriots, we're your home. <laughs> anyway, disgusting. Uh, we're excited to kind of get back in the studio. It's been a, a while since we've been in. Um, our last episode was a recording we did at your church, Trinity, which yeah. is also the church I attend. And that was great. We got some good feedback from that. So hopefully you hopefully you enjoyed that. But it's good to be back, man. Good to be back in the studio. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to today's topic. I think it's, uh, I think it's a really important one. It's one I've been thinking about a lot recently. Yeah. So this weekend, both David and I are actually traveling to Rochester, New York, speaking at a, a leadership event. And this is the topic that you're going to be talking about in your breakaway, your breakout session, right? Yeah, I am. Yeah, we're going to be talking about the self-aware leader. And um, so I've been kind of doing a deep dive and. Uh, I've come up with uh, six questions that I think self-aware leaders regularly ask themselves. And uh, in this podcast, we're going to look at three of them. And then I think we're going to do a follow-up um, episode with the other three. But just a couple quick thoughts on just self-awareness as a whole. Um, self-awareness is the ability to really correctly or rightly see yourself, see how you fit in the world, or even if you want to... Um, make that a smaller circle, how you fit in a team or how you fit in an organization, how you fit in a room, and also how others see you. So there's an internal uh, aspect of self-awareness, how you see yourself, and there's really an external aspect to self-awareness is do you properly understand how other people see you? And um, there's a a lady who's done a lot of research on this topic named uh, Tasha Yurik. She's a doctor and she's an organizational psychologist. She's a researcher. She's has best-selling book, um, and uh, she completed a five-year research program on this topic of self-awareness, and she wrote a book called Insight about it, and uh, it was interesting. The, the bad news coming out of the research project was this. 
95% of people think they are self-aware. <laughs> Only 10 to 15% actually are. Oh, my goodness. And she says it this way. I thought it was funny. She says that means that 80% of people are lying to themselves about lying to themselves. <laughs> um, so... Uh, 95% of people think they are only 10 to 15 people. So what, what that means is probably one of the two of us is self-aware and one of the two of us is not. Yeah. And I knew we'll, that. We'll let the listeners, cover, I knew that. We'll let the listeners too. decide. Yeah, by the okay. way, you got a big stain on your shirt. Just kidding. <laughs> Darn you. <laughs> the good news is this. She says in her research, uh, they've realized that self-awareness is one of those areas that leaders can actually make improvements in. So sometimes you feel like you either got it or you don't. Self-awareness is not that. It's not you either have it or you don't. Um, you can make a dramatic improvement in self-awareness. It takes a lot of work. It takes courage and humility, but it is possible to improve your self-awareness. And I think these six questions are maybe going to be a part of that process for, for our listeners. Now, when I think of self-awareness, um, I think of one of our favorite television shows that you and I and our, our families love to enjoy, The Office. Oh, heard of it? I thought you were gonna go with uh, Princess Diaries. <laughs> I said television shows. Oh yeah. If it was movies, it would be Princess Diaries. But okay. Just the second one. Yeah. Um, no, The Office, which one I of think, our favorites. Uh, yep, we love it. And in in the boss uh, character Michael Scott, uh, one of the gifts that that show gives is amongst many, many, many gifts, which includes a litany of quotes that we can use at all sorts of times yes. in all sorts of situations and serious meetings. Um, uh, one of the gifts is that with Michael Scott's character, we, we get a look at what it would be like to be completely lacking in <laughs> self-awareness. Do you have a favorite lacking in self-awareness moment of Michael Scott from The Office? I know there's so many to choose from, and you're kind of putting you on the spot here. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's tough. There's uh, Yeah, there's so many. I mean, some of his, if you watch some of his stuff, he does, he does stuff on Diversity Day. That's, and that's cringeworthy. <laughs> yeah. The way he talks to Kelly. <laughs> so he thinks he's he's really on top of uh, diversity and understanding what it looks like and how it should operate in the office. And let's just say he's not. Every character he comes up with to do presentations, prison Mike, yeah. uh, what's the Michael Klump or what is it? Uh, uh, the the big when he wears the fat suit. Yeah, like just it's just it's just a comedy of errors of what a leader lacking self awareness would do. So what that means is if you watch The Office and you look at Michael and you're like, wow, seems like a pretty solid leader. Like <laughs> that says probably something about your own self-awareness. Yeah. Right? Or if you can't identify anybody in your organization that is Michael Scott, you, may you be. might be Michael Scott. <laughs> you may be the Michael Scott. <laughs> so we're going to help all the Michael Scotts out there today, hopefully. So let's just get into this here. Six questions that a self-aware leader would regularly ask him or herself. And I think the first one, and this is where we kind of have to start, is what are the things that I'm great at? And then the inverse of that, of course, is what are the things that I am uh, not so good at or that I really struggle with, I'm not naturally good at? And I think one of the things that self-aware leaders do is they use assessments and they understand themselves. And so there's different assessments uh, that exist out there. Some are free. Some actually cost quite a bit of money. This is actually a worthwhile investment. If you're a leader and you've never assessed your personality type, so, of course, I think the most well-known personality test out there is the Myers-Briggs um, I'm a, do you know what you are? I'm an ENFJ. No, not, I, I've you're done a D, test, but you're I don't. You're a D-U-M-B. <laughs> D-U-M-B. Wait, wait a second. I know what you just did. No, so, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, but. Okay. Well, you're definitely an E. You're probably. Don't a, try to diagnose me right mm, now. I'm trying to think right now. Yeah. We're not that different from each other. Well. But you're a T, not an F probably. You're a thinker more than a feeler. 
That's definitely true. You're probably an ENTJ. If you're out there listening and you know me, go ahead and take a guess at what I am. Well, so there's this, if you go online and you just kind of Google Myers-Briggs, there's all these charts that try to summarize the different category types. And so an ENFJ, which is what I am, the category in this particular graphic that I'm looking at, uh, says a smooth talking persuader. Oh my gosh, that's so true. You right? just... How many times have I talked to you into giving me the rest of your ice cream? <laughs> Not countless, once. Countless times, twice last night. <laughs> and uh, ENTJ, which I think you might be, is uh, categorized as life's slowest learners. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> life's natural leaders. Now I kind of regret saying that's what I think you are. Wow. But uh, that's possible for you. You mm. also, um, well, let's not waste everybody's time by <laughs> trying to figure out what you are. No one cares. So anyway, there's Myers-Briggs. There's different leadership style assessments you can take because there are different styles of leadership. And it's not like there's a right one and a wrong one. There's just right. different approaches. Yeah, there's some that assign like an animal and then they define what the animal is and sure. different different things like that. Yeah. yeah. Strength Finders is a great, um, there's a little book out there called Strength Finders or Strength Finders 2.0. Yep. And it's a list of 34 different strengths that uh, a, a, a leader, really just any person can have. And what they do is when you take the test, uh, they give you your top five. Um, and so um, my top five, I think, are like communication, um, ideation, uh, arranging. I, I forget all of them. But but if you pay a little extra, you actually get to see all 34 of yours ranked from top to bottom. Hmm. So it actually shows you your strengths and your weaknesses. And we'll talk in just a moment about what to do with that. Then there's a great, great assessment, which costs a little money, called Leading from Your Strengths. So if you're very interested in, uh, if you're a leader and you're wondering, what is my natural leadership style and what is my adaptive leadership style? Meaning, how am I wired to lead and how am I currently leading? That will do that for you. There's other ones. The Enneagram is very popular right now, which gives you a number. I think I'm a three, which is the achiever. There's a newish book out there called Five Voices, which talks about the five different voices that leaders use and have. So why do you think, in your opinion, Jared, in your experience, why is it important for leaders to use assessments to better understand what they're great at? Well, I think because we all lead out of a default setting, you know, that yeah. we kind of fall into. Um, it's kind of like a rut that we operate out of. And most of the time we're not a, we're not aware of it and aware of um, why we lead that way. And... Um, I think it's important because if you know that, then you can utilize it to lead better. You know, you understand, okay, here's what I'm good at. Here's what's – because usually I think the default position of the way people lead, there's strengths and weaknesses about it. Mm -hmm. So if you're aware of it, you can leverage the strengths to be even more strengths, and then you can minimize the weaknesses. But if you're unaware – the weaknesses can shine really bright and minimize the strengths, you know? For sure. And knowing what you're naturally great at or how you're naturally wired also helps you better understand why you're responding the way you're responding, right? Yeah. In certain situations and why there's tension between you and other types of people because you recognize um, some of the natural differences between you and other leaders or other people on your team. Um, So if you're building teams, it's essential to know where you're weak and where other people are strong because... um, then you can put the right people on the the right seats on the bus. Yeah. So once you know what some of your strengths are, one of the things you definitely want to do is you want to develop it. The idea that like there are natural strengths, but the idea that they will get stronger on their own is kind of naive. Um, we have to keep getting uh, improving and learning. And so if you're a, if you're great at um, organization and administrative tasks. If you're just going to sort of rest on the laurels of that's a natural gift, that will only get you so far. I saw a tweet recently 
uh, I think it might have been by a, a friend of ours, a pastor in our network, Craig Johnson, which said, there's a shelf life on your competency. Um, and I would add, there's an expiration date on your knowledge. Like the world changes so fast. The, the skills it requires to lead in a changing world are always evolving. Hmm. And there's always new tools, new resources, new ways of considering how to exercise your natural strengths. And if you're not uh, developing them intentionally, you're not going to grow. So give me an example for your life. How have you done this? What's something you found as a natural gift that you've yeah. cultivated? So um, I think for me, one of the things I, I try to, I'm, I think I have a natural gift of communication. So one of the things I do to try to develop that gift is I listen to lots of communicators and not just other preachers and teachers uh, and trainers and educators, which is kind of the circle I fall in. But like, I like to listen to like uh, comedians um, and uh, just general storytellers. So I love yeah. listening to podcasts, which are, you know, um, This American Life or Malcolm Gladwell's, he's got a couple podcasts now. And I just like like kind of listening to how they tell stories, how they build thoughts, how they put facts and details together. And to me, um, I just try to take note of what I think they're doing well. Right. Yeah, that's great. Another thing, once you know what your strengths are and specifically how you're wired, you got to know that because they actually, don't you find it true that your strengths can't, your greatest strength can become your weakness? Um, if you're really wired in a specific way, if it's unchecked and sort of runs rampant in your life, it can actually become... Uh, a, a weakness or at least a source of um, uh, tension and stress in your team. So like, let's say you're really, let's go back to the example, or you're very organized, you're very administrative. Um, you have to know that about yourself so that that doesn't become um, something that becomes destructive in a team that's diverse, that not everybody has that skill yeah. set. Actually, I have an example of this in my own life. So I tend to be a visionary strategic thinker and um at my old job, I was a young adult pastor, and I had a guy on staff with me who is now the young adult pastor, and um, we would have these conversations, and of course, my I'm throwing ideas out, but I'm in my mind, I'm not thinking we're executing all these ideas. I'm just throwing vision, but I'm throwing vision out like a shotgun, you know, and he, so the next day or the next week, he comes in, and he's halfway through completing a on a project that was an idea I threw out. And I'm like, wait, why are you doing that? And he's like, you said, you know, so it was like this revelatory moment for both of us where he's like, oh, so I can't. So everything you say out of your mouth is not, I want to do this. It's, and I'm like, I remember thinking to myself, man, I got to be careful about realizing people are not like me. They're yeah. really different. So yeah. I got to really watch that and curb that a little bit in, in certain settings. That's good. So some things you need to do with your week, with your strengths is you need to develop them and you need to kind of keep your eye on them, know that they can actually become an issue for you eventually. And then when it comes to weaknesses, I think with weaknesses, you have to know them and you have to own them. Don't pretend, right? Everybody sees through people who are pretending not to have weaknesses or not to have specific weaknesses. But I also would say don't waste your time trying to get great at them. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, there's a fine line, right, between using it as an excuse um, and then because um, I think that is the flip side that could happen where mm -hmm. it's like, well, I'm not good at administration, so eh, whatever. I'll just tell people I'm not good at administration and I won't ever try to do anything. Um, that's not good, but I do agree with you. I actually think it's better. Uh, it's a better use of your time to to staff your weakness. And that doesn't mean hire somebody, but sure. find somebody to fill the gaps, you know? Yeah. I think bringing others around you, right? 
Yeah. Um, and a couple of thoughts on what you said. I think the idea of um, you're, you're, you express attention well. So you're not going to be great at this, but it doesn't excuse your organization for being terrible at that or your team, right? Right. So, you, so I, I would say, and this is, the, this is the language that I would use, you need to, while you don't spend a lot of energy get, trying to get great, you don't spend energy trying to get great at it because you're never going to get great at it, um, you need to have what I would call an entry-level skill set. Yeah. So you have to be good enough at it to qualify for the job. Right. <laughs> and um, you need to also be open to the possibility that there are solutions to your weakness that um, don't actually cause you to try and do something you're not wired to do. So for a non-administrative person, there may be some technological um, solutions that exist now that didn't exist 15, 20 years ago that they should be open to trying out. Right. Instead of just saying, no, it's never going to be me. Well, no, somebody's actually come up with a solution that might fit into your natural style and accomplish this task. Yeah. Um, this takes some real humility, though, right? Because you got to be willing to hand stuff off to other people and really trust other people to oh, yeah. run the weak areas of your life. So if it's administrative, it's not just it's actually literally like trusting that person and saying you know what's best you know or if you're a leader and you're not a real strategic thinker but you've got someone on your team that is like kind of tr- i mean trusting them or so it, i think it takes a, a real level of humility and um it could be a challenge yeah for sure it's it's a lot easier to try to do it on your own and we're going to talk a little bit more about that i think in the next episode um one of the things I just want to say before we go to the second question is that one of the reasons why I think sometimes we don't staff to our weaknesses or build a team around our weaknesses is we assume that everyone hates doing what we hate doing. And so we can't imagine that somebody would actually get joy and meaning and purpose out of a specific <laughs> task right. that drains us. But that just is so myopic and narcissistic, right? Yeah. Everybody's different. And something that you hate, somebody else loves doing. And something that you love doing, somebody else hates doing. Right. And you want a team that's diverse enough to have all different yeah. skill sets and abilities. So what am I great at? What am I bad at? Where am I weak? Second question is, not what, but when. When am I at my best? When am I at my worst? Hmm. And here we're talking about energy during the day, right? Um, and energy cycles. And just, Jared, in your experience of, you know, being um, a part of an organization here where you work sort of regular office hours, have you identified your energy cycles throughout the day? Kind of when are you able to produce the most work? When do you have the most brain power, the most creative uh, most creativity at work in you, and then where where are the lulls? Have you identified that at all? To be honest, I haven't. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about that, which is which is probably not great. But um, off the top of my head, I I think I would think in the morning is probably, you know, when I first get in, I'm pretty. Um, by that time, I've been up for a while. I've dropped my kids off. I've hopefully had some coffee. Like I'm kind of like ready to go for a bit. And then I would say, I would say my worst time is as the closer it gets to five o'clock and the kind of the day is done is probably, yeah, you know. So do you feel like the morning you peak and then the afternoons you slowly decline into dinner? I actually think after lunch I have a little bit of a peak time. Do you? Yeah. Does that depend at all? I'm not being funny here. Does that depend at all on like what you eat for lunch? No, I don't no. think so. Okay. I don't think so. For me it does actually. I think it's just like a little, there, there tends to be like a little break feeling. So then it's like, all right, mm. I come, I'm coming back. Okay. Like, let me, let me, get this going so some of the study that i've done on this topic of workday energy cycles is they actually say every 90 minutes you should take a 15 minute break Hmm. um get up 
walk around. That's no problem for me. I try to do it every nine yeah. minutes. No, you every fifteen minutes of work, you take a ninety <laughs> minute break. <laughs> I hope your boss isn't listening. Sorry, Dwayne. Um, what? But uh, their their point being that like the idea that people just buckle down and work without a change of scenery or just even the energy shift of because you work at a desk often I work at a desk often so just getting up getting outside getting some fresh air walking around going out with a um, somebody that you work with and throwing a football around for 10 minutes like that can rejuvenate you kind of reset you and bring you back there there actually is a, a whole study um, a whole field of study around this and they've developed this thing called a chronotype and the chronotype basically cer- similar to the assessments we were talking about earlier is what is your energy cycle animal so there's bear which is what i am which wow. is hibernate all winter um <laughs> <laughs> no actually bear does sound a lot like me it's a, it's kind of a, a little bit of a lazier energy cycle but there's bear there's i think wolf um dolphin somehow oh i'm a dolphin for yeah sure. I, don't, I don't remember all of them but you can go online and, and take some tests and determine what your energy cycle is but i think um for me uh, my day is i tend to um uh, have a real my my brain power moments are early so from like uh from like eight in the morning to like lunchtime i can really typically produce content and think strategically then lunch, and I think part of my fault, honestly, is that I, I probably don't eat a light enough, quick enough, you know, smart enough lunch as opposed to going to eat like some sort of salad or some tree bark or something. You know, I'll go have like a bowl of pasta and then it just like the next hour and a half. You nap for <laughs> just my energy cycle is super low. And then I start to kick back up uh, into, you know, right into the right into like. Probably after 2 o'clock, I get another little burst from about 2 to 4, typically, 2 to 5. And then I actually have a lot of energy later in the evening, too, which is you have to pay attention to that because you shouldn't be working at home all the time. But some of my best thoughts come after the kids are down to sleep and we're just hanging out watching a show or something, and I maybe will think of something and, and, mm-hmm. and have some thoughts. But uh, the question I want to ask about this is, and maybe you don't have an answer for this because you said you haven't really noticed your low energy cycles, but what are some of the things during those times that you can do that don't require a lot of brain power? So uh, have you ever thought about that? Like, let's say you just ha- you're just losing energy, you're feeling a lack of motivation, you've been trying to write something, you've been staring at the screen for 30 minutes, you can't create content, you, you're yeah. frustrated. What are some of the things that you need to get done work-related that actually require very little um, energy, creativity, and brain power? I don't know if I've thought about it in the sense that they require little energy or brain power, but the, what I do think about is um, if there's tasks that um, I know will help rejuvenate a little bit of that. So, for example, if I've got to call people on the phone and I have like so there's some relationship, I know that, OK, let me get up from my desk. Mm-hmm. Let me get on the phone. Let me call these people because. The conversation will naturally. You talked about shifting your energy. Yeah, it will naturally do that. So, let me let me just stop doing the computer work that I'm doing, or like sermon prep, because mm-hmm. I'm about to fall asleep, and I'm gonna do that. And then, mm-hmm. you know, after an hour of that, you tend to come back, and then that that helps me. And that's something I'll definitely. Yeah, do. it may even depending on how you're wired, it may actually give you energy right. if you're a very relational person, which it does, for or me, if the yeah. conversation's interesting, exciting, encouraging. Um, so for me, some of the things that I try to focus on when I feel like I have low energy is replying to emails, um, you know, unless it's a very complicated situation. But for the most part, just shooting back emails doesn't take a lot of brain power. Um, 
uh, repetitive tasks that I do every single week. You know, in the church, um, I'm working on things like Planning Center, which is our uh, online program that we use to um, schedule our teams and plan our services. Even just loading things into ProPresenter, which is the um, program we use to display onto our, our televisions in the church. There are things I have to do every week, and I can do those things almost in my sleep. And so those are things that I try to do. Like instead of wasting my time trying to force myself to be productive or creative when I really feel low in my energy, I'll redirect myself towards things like writing handwritten notes to people of encouragement and thankfulness, just things that I can do. And honestly, sometimes if there's an errand I have to run, um, that's a great time to do it because just getting in the car, driving down the street, a lot of times actually my best thoughts as it relates to my sermons and my content creation happen when I'm driving somewhere and just thinking about what I've been trying to write. And I don't know why it is, but it just comes clear to me. Probably because you're not focusing on the road like you should be. But Yeah, that's, well, another. that's another podcast. All right, last question. So, or, or last question for this um, episode on self-awareness. So we said, what am I great at or bad at? When am I at my best? When am I at my worst? And then this last one is, how am I seen by others? This is the external aspect of self-awareness. Um, we all have blind spots. You know, we all think we see ourselves and we all think we understand how other people see ourselves. But the truth is, is that um, a lot of times we don't see ourselves the way other people see ourselves. And uh, there's a book called First Impressions by Dr. Ann Damaris and Dr. Valerie White. And they provide this really interesting chart in it where they say, if you do this, they're talking about like an actual action. If you do this, you may think you seem this, but you actually may seem this to other people. So let me give you a few of them. Hmm. Um, if you share more than others do, you may think you seem open, honest, and revealing, but you may seem burdensome and inappropriate to others. Guilty. <laughs> but if you share much less than others, you may, you may think you seem in control and mysterious and reserved, but you may seem closed, uninteresting, cold, disengaged. Um, if yeah. you, um, let me, th- let me give a couple more examples. If you blame others, you might think you're, you seem honest and straightforward, but you might seem difficult, socially needy, and victimized. If you focus on negative aspects of a situation, you might think you seem straightforward, realistic, even strategic, and um, helpfully critical, but you might be unlikable, <laughs> unpleasant, and not a team player. Right? Guilty. So, wow, we should keep going because it sounds like you're guilty of all of these. <laughs> um if you deliver a lecture on something you know a lot about, you might seem you might think you seem smart and interesting, but you might actually seem bombastic, boring, and self-absorbed. That one must hit you right, <laughs> right in the heart, <laughs> right smack dab in the little heart. So I, I thought this chart was interesting because it helps you realize like you might think you seem a certain way, yeah. But boy, uh, reading a room, and when you lack emotional intelligence and self-awareness, tell us what that's like, Jerry. I'm no, just kidding. Well, I will tell you this. This this is one that I, I have these moments, you know, because I, typically I operate with the assumption that I kind of know what people think about me, mm. as I think most people do. Yeah. But then I'll have these moments where I'm like, oh my goodness, like, what, what, like maybe I'm totally off, like, kind of like the list you read, like maybe I think people think I'm this way. But they actually think yeah. I'm this way. Yeah. And it's kind of these, it's a little bit scary, right? It's like, yeah. all right. Uh, I, you know, so this is actually one area that I feel like, I don't know if it's a weakness, but I, the scary thing is you could, you could really think you know what everyone thinks about you, but you really don't. So it's kind yeah. of a, yeah. 
and there's a fine line here, right? Because at the end of the day, if you're overly concerned about whatever people think, what other people think of you, right. like if it controls you, you're not going to lead well. But in a, but that's different. That's self-absorption, really. Yeah. Uh, self or self-conscious, being self-conscious. But being self-aware is what helps us lead better. So Elizabeth Bernstein or Bernstein, um, she did a article uh, last year in April in the Wall Street Journal where she interviewed Dr. Yurik, the, the doctor we talked about earlier. And um, Tasha Yurik gave just here's she said here's some things you could do to become more self-aware in an external sort of way and one of the things she said which i think is so important it seems obvious but i think a lot of people don't do this is you have to pick the well first off you have to ask for feedback right the irony of self-awareness is you can't get it alone yeah you have to get it with the help of others super difficult to do right so you have to ask for feedback but you have to pick the right person to ask for feedback so what are your thoughts on what the right person is to ask for feedback yeah, it's a weird combination. I actually feel like this is very rare to find the right person. I don't know about you, but someone who's honest, but also um, like gracious but honest. Mm. Um, someone who knows you well enough to like, so they're informed. Yeah, you know, and that's hard too because there's certain people in your life that know you really well. Like, they like you so much that mm-hmm. they almost have um, they don't have an accurate like. There's nothing you could do or say that would. That would yeah. be wrong to them. You know? Rose-colored glasses. Right. So if you say, hey, give me an assessment, it's like, oh, you're the greatest leader I've ever seen, yeah. you know? So it's a, it's a, I actually find this tricky. Yeah. And some people, the way they're wired, like my wife, if I ask her after a, after a Sunday, how was the sermon? Like, she's just naturally so gracious and kind and such an encourager that I know that I, if I need critical feedback, I need to go to probably you, uh, <laughs> not to my wife. Um, for that, that's just that's wisdom on her part too. <laughs> right after this, right after this, yeah, sermon. that's true. Um, it's in fact, she says in this interview, it's probably not someone who's really close to you, because they have a motive to try to please you. Mm. You know, she says those relationships are emotionally complex, and there's a greater risk of conflict if you don't like the feedback. But that's tricky, right? Because if they don't, if if it's someone too distant, then sure. Yeah. That, well, yes, it's not easy. So finding someone who is more removed and maybe more objective and has less at risk by being honest with you. Of course, a lot of it, a lot of the impetus is on you to keep the environment safe and to let them know, I actually need you to be as critical and harsh right. and honest as you possibly can, because that's actually the most loving thing you can do. If you care about me, you'll be honest. Yeah. Um, and I was listening to a podcast with a guy named uh, Shane Snow, who's written about building teams. And one of the things he talked about was that great leaders, they know how to emotionally support people while intellectually challenging them. So keeping the space safe while pushing hard when it comes to here's how you can improve. Hmm. It's not easy. Um, it's not easy thing to have both of, but we shouldn't settle for less than that, I think is the point. Yeah. Um, keep looking. Um, and then let me, I know we're running out of time, so let me give... If you want to read this article, just Google um, Tasha Yurik, Wall Street Journal, April 2017. So let me just give one more for the sake of time. This was very helpful. She said, if you want feedback, you have to be specific about what you want to know. How many times have people you know, asked questions like, how do you think I'm doing as a leader? Or what did you think of that sermon? And yeah. good, when I ask people stuff like that, the best people who, as far as feedback, they'll say, what specifically are you asking for? What do you want to know? Uh, She says this, don't write them a blank feedback check. You're opening the door to things you might not want to hear or might not be ready to work on or might not even matter. They may not have an expertise on. So she says, do some reflecting first. 
Uh, and then specifically, she gives this example. If you want to be seen as someone who is funny and charming, ask someone who was at the party with you last night how you really came across, what you did that helped you, what got in your way. So similar, if, you, if you're if you working on being more interesting and engaging as a preacher or a teacher, then ask for specific feedback on that. Did you think my stories landed? Did you think my humor was spaced out properly? Did people feel engaged from beginning to end as opposed to just saying, how do you think I did? Yeah. That's really good. That's that's helpful, and uh, it's it's a challenge. It's challenging to me to say, um, "Are you willing to continue to do this?" Because here's the temptation for me: I'll ask for feedback in areas that I think I'm good at, so the mm-hmm. risk is less. Mm-hmm. Um, but areas that I'm like, I I don't want to risk the rejection on this area. It's a lot harder. So I think that's a challenge to put yourself out there, and if you want to grow, it's what you got to do. Yeah, man. Well, those are three questions, and we'll we'll tackle three more in the next episode. We'll tackle three more. Before we do, we're going to close out with a little portion we'd like to do called David's Eats. We didn't do it last week because we had a special kind of live yeah. edition there, but um, we're back. David, what's the best thing you've eaten all week? Well, we have these things in our church called dinner parties where we gather in people's homes. You hosted one this past I weekend. I hosted one, and we did a Thanksgiving theme because we're in November now. And um, this lady in our church, I want to give her a shout out. They're, they're a new family, and uh, her name is Rochelle. And she made a sweet potato casserole that blew my mind. So I was so mad at you. You told me this, and I was like, you didn't say me any of that? I ate it the next night cold with my finger. Oh, my. <laughs> like it was like a dessert dip. Talk about it was a self-aware like, leader. <laughs> the sweet potato was, um, you know, the base was really a smooth sweet potato base. She'd put all sorts of spices and butter, I'm sure, and sugar into it. But the top was like this perfect crust, pecans, and not like um, uh, almost like a pie crust on top. It was hmm. it had a real um, uh, I don't know what the word is, but it, it didn't it wasn't loose. It was one solid crust top. Right. And uh, oh my goodness, it was delicious. No marshmallows. I don't I don't really I'm not down for that. I know some people love that. I don't need that. If there's enough sugar and spice in the actual sweet potatoes, and then there's obviously sugar and spice in the crushed pecan crust, um, that texture difference, that I mean everything about it worked. That sounds amazing. Thanks, Rochelle. Yep. Thank you, Rochelle. You are now a celebrity. Hey everybody, this is the Multiply Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you guys next time.